there's more respect for the animal itself than actual people because that's their livelihood that they try to care and nurture for. So going to a farm and then seeing that firsthand is, is, is absolutely amazing. And you can see the love that they have for them. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As regional dining has boomed over the last decade, so too have the proliferation of boutique hotels. Often with food offerings specifically targeting their guests, there are some creating much larger food and beverage offerings to attract the local community too. How do you manage the success of the venue by appealing to both? Marte Herseg is a general manager of Kaya Boutique Hotel in Blackheath, Blue Mountains. Marte, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. It's good to have you on the show. It's been a pretty interesting period of time, um, especially for destinations like where you are. Um, are things starting to pick up? Yeah, the, the, it's, we're seeing a lot of improvement, I, I'll say, in, in confidence um, with local travel um, and you know, certainly that, you know, they have confidence to get out and about into the into the Blue Mountains area and especially, you know, helping um, regional uh, families. So, yeah, it has been a bit of a change in the last probably or maybe last four weeks or so, I would say. You're a general manager of a stunning boutique hotel and your, your whole background is chefing. Um, tell us a little bit about the offering that you're creating there and how it's a bit different to a normal boutique hotel. Yeah, so uh, I guess in, the, in you know, um, how we all started this journey with, with Kaya was there was an old rundown motel in Blackheath and the new owners are um, saw an opportunity. Um, they love the sort of the feel of an old motel um, and they've converted this into something, you know, beautifully appointed. Um, and we believe that a lot of people would like to travel up and, and and not potentially jump on a plane. So the idea of it is, is that, you know, we're only about 90 minutes away from Sydney um, and we try to capture those kind of fond memories of jumping in the car and, and, and getting people up here. Um, and sort of how we all started with the process is that um, keep it local, keep it regional and, and you know, have that kind of nostalgia of um, those kind of fond memories that you have when you're a younger kid, essentially. Um, the offerings is, you know, with us, you know, living in the National Park, essentially, um, in the Blue Mountains, is that we have these beautiful nature trails. Um, you can jump on a bike. You can get a picnic. You can go for a walk. Um, it's sort of like a stepping stone where we are because we're a little bit higher up. Um, in the Blue Mountains, we're situated where, you know, 40 minutes down the road, you can be, you know, in, you know, in, in Oberon, where it's a beautiful forest where you can go for a walk. Um, you can spend two minutes in a car down the road to get to a trail. Um, it's, it's, it's different. It's not, um, we're not in the concrete jungle of Sydney where, where you, you know, looking in, <laughs> you know, and beautiful as Sydney is, some people like that kind of Sydney feel, but if you want to relax and get away, it's completely different. You feel like you've gone to another country, you know, driving up in the mountains. It feels more of a European sort of vibe, you know, with the trees and the air and, and um, yeah, we yeah we, we think it's a lot different. And, and if you like that, you know, or if you want to experience that as well, we have that to offer. Well, tell us a bit about the, the, uh, the region and sort of the local produce and some of the producers that you're connecting with to, to sort of hero on the, on the menu in the restaurant. 
Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, we have this amazing baker um, situated in in, in Lawson. So he was an ex chef, uh, essentially working out of. Um, at Blackheath, where he was just baking bread for the restaurant. And then um, French baker, you know, very nice guy. Um, and then he decided to do that a bit more of a craft. So then he, you know, went all out and he took a small little shop in Lawson and then he started baking bread and pastries and, and croissants. And then from there, it's just morphed into another pop-up in Katoomba. So the the baker, the baker that we use is, is Black Copper 2, um, situated in Lawson. Um, so he's very localised. He uses all Australian grain spelts and he does a lot of stuff with it, old, um, I call um, ancient grains, I guess, like Coruscant and stuff like that. Um, so he heroes that and it's, you know, 72-hour fermentation process. You know, he's, you know, a few years old sourdough because he's only started making that probably about 10 years ago. Some sourdough starters could be, you know, 30, 40 years old, but that's what he's working with here. He uses a Pepe Saya butter, which is down in Sydney. Everyone loves Pepe. Um, so so that's just him in, in that kind of regard. We use him as our fresh bread for offerings for the, for the restaurant and breakfast, um, and then we use his pastries for the weekend as well when people are coming up. Um, so that's just one person there. Then we use a local butcher down in um, Springwood, so it's about a half an hour drive down the hill. Um, he, so it's a family-run business, been there for 45 years. He does a bit more um, bespoke uh, butchery. So, you know, he'll go into the market, he'll have a look what's there, and he'll buy um, what we need on a day-to-day basis. Of, of course, he services other restaurants that use him in, in the area. Um, and then and then we go into, like, um, uh, Linsdale. So Linsdale's um, goat cheese um, there from um, – the name escapes me um, – um, uh, um, I'll, I'll get back to me. So sorry, the name escapes me. But Linsdale Goat's Cheese, um, Janai. Sorry, because um, it's Jeanette who's the producer. Uh, Janai Goat's Cheese, and she does beautiful curds and uh, matured aged cloth cheddar for goat, but just predominantly all goat's cheese as well. And then you have the Apple Farm in in Blackheath, which is a five minute drive from the hotel in in uh, in Loganbury Orchards. So and they only grow for apple season, so it's coming up now. We have fresh apples only for the three or four-month period that's coming up. So we're very selective of who we like to use and, and do. We use a fish supply down in Sydney, of course. You know, we don't have um, the ocean close to us, so we just try to do line-caught sustainable fish out of New South Wales. Um, so we try to make the footprint and the traffic a little bit less, you know, for diesel, running cost, and, and that kind of environment focus. Um, and then we have our own market garden or a kitchen garden on site where we've you know carved in around about yeah it's fantastic we're so excited um we carved up around about 350 400 square meters for the market garden where we will basically 15 meters from the kitchen door to the garden where we'll be picking you know daily or every second day when need to lettuces and produce and herbs and and stuff out of the garden so that will have a own moving forward eventually probably in the next say four to six weeks we'll have our own garden menu so anything that comes out of on that menu will be just garden grown on the grounds only um so we're very heavily focused on produce very seasonal um mountains do offer you the four seasons of the year snow during the winter some days not every day uh, but you do get that cold that frost which is great for like growing brassicas you know cabbages and and stuff that needs the frost some stone fruit love that as well cherries are quite quite um love the frost kiwi fruit grapes that kind of that kind of stuff that we want to grow in the garden and that will take a full year you know to get that developed full circle so we get the full seasons but moving forward 
we do have a planting guide that we work with our gardener that we ask her if you can grow this and that so because this is what we want to showcase on the menu. So the menu is based two seasons from now. So we're already, we're already planning what's coming in spring um, on the menu um, based on the garden that we have. So, so we're just getting confidence for the first year of uh, growing, um, but we're really heavily focused on the garden concept. Um, so, yeah, and then there's a couple of smaller producers as well that we use from Sydney, some local honey guys as well. Um, but we, we do try to capture that 80-kilometre radius, and 80 kilometres in a straight line will just get you on the water in Sydney. So that's sort of how we try to utilise it. But, yeah, but, um, yeah. It's been an interesting concept, but that's where my, you know, the background, as you mentioned, chefing for such a long time. Um, you know, I was, since I was 14, I've been in the kitchen. So, um, and getting a bit older now, I love I love the, the fire and the pace of the kitchen, but when you're pushing nearly 40, you still want to be a part of the kitchen and keep up with the younger guys and show them how to do it. But, um, but yeah, so, and, and, and that's why... Um, I'm still sort of in the kitchen, you know, on that Friday and Saturday night period, giving the guys a hand, making sure the food is coming out correctly because it's a young team. We've only been open since the 20th of December, so literally um, eight weeks, I guess. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's been going well. We're, we're quite happy where we're sitting at the moment. Well, I want to explore how, you know, cooking in the region has changed your cooking over the years because you spent a quite, quite a bit of time up in, in that area of, of New South Wales. But take us back to where, when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play for you and your family? Uh, yeah, so we, European background. Um, so we, we come from, I, I guess, you know, good cooking uh, people <laughs> that we, you know, we produce and um, – well, we produce mum was always in the kitchen. Um, my, my twin sister, um, she was never to be found. She was always out. So I was the only one in there. And there's quite a young, um, it was a quite a big age gap between my you know, my brother and, and, and us. Um, so I was always in the kitchen with mum on early on, you know. Um, and then I guess from there it stemmed where, you know, passion for food was there, you know. My dad would, would you know, it wouldn't be, you know, odd at all that we'll just have a pig or something like that hanging off the clothesline at the hills hoist in the back of the yard during during christmas or easter um obviously he's, he's picked it up from the you know from the abattoir and you know everything was done properly it wasn't something like you know we just find something you know someone else was raising one but um and you know he'll help me he goes well you want to come over here and we'll clean it up and then my my father, what he'll do, he'll ask me to come around with a, a razor. You know, I was only seven years old or something like that, I remember, and and then give it a quick haircut um, before we salt it down and put it onto the fire. So, you know, being around food for such a young age, and I think naturally I've just fell, fell into that. Um, and that's sort of where it stemmed from with my mother and my father coming through um, and, and, and doing that cooking experience with them. You know, my mum would be in the kitchen making cakes for Christmas and Easter um, and my father would always be outside on the barbecue. So it's sort of like a joint role where um, mum would be inside, dad would be outside, my sister to know where to be found. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so it stemmed from that. And then I, I took on a, an apprenticeship. I thought that was the right thing to do. Um, and I was always working in kitchens at a young age. And then I, you know, I said, I, I can make a career out of this and this would be great. And since I was 17, started my apprenticeship and 28 years later, oh, here we are essentially. And worked in, yeah, numerous hotels in Sydney, um, worked with the Mervat company group back in the day, P1, um, Key Grand Suites, 
um, Hawkesbury, um, mostly in the city back again. Convention Centre went all shut down, then reopened the new one. So we had some interesting roles from working in kitchens of three people to kitchens of 100. Well, take us back to that time. You know, what, what were the real sort of influences early on in your career as you sort of had those different experiences with the different hotel groups? Yeah, so I, I think it's always about the people. I was, you know, depending on who you were working with the kitchen, a couple of people um, sort of shaped me and experienced me and you get – you know, you develop a bond between these people, like a working relationship, which is great. And kitchens are such a small area to work in and you, you treat them like family, like an extended part of your family. So when someone's showing you something and and making you learn, it just gives you more passion, you know. So for anyone trying to get into the industry at a young age or an older age, it doesn't matter what it is in the industry. It could be, you know, from a plumber to a lawyer to a chef. As long as you have the passion and you want to do it, you, you you'll make a success of it. You know, so it's very important, I think, to figure it out, figure that out as well. And having guidance and like a mentoring um, is 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 critical for development. So um, yeah, two of those two of those ex chefs, I say ex chefs because they they finished cooking now, but um, helped nature me um, into into what I'm doing today. And I still have a passion for food, and I'll, I think I always will. Every day we're lo- always learning something different, which is amazing. Was there a moment um, that you can tell us about in your career where you realised you really got a handle of chefing and felt sort of confident in your own voice on the plate? Um, I, yeah, I would say probably when I was my first sous chef role. I, uh, you know, working as a section leader or as a chef to party, there's always someone above you, you know, pulling the strings and telling you how they want things. And when I finished up, when I was about 24, um, and that was a couple of years after my apprenticeship was finished, and then I moved into a sous chef role, so second in charge, and I went to the Hawkesbury. Um, and that's when you have a kitchen brigade underneath you. You have another person like a head chef or an exec chef, but you're pretty much in a joint role together because there's not really a hierarchy there because he needs you and you need him essentially for that for that top-tier position. Um, so developing your own team, developing menus from start, you know, training the guys. I think that that breaking or that turning point for me was was saying, yeah, this is amazing, let's do it, was about when I was about 24. You've been in um, the Blue Mountains um, for, for a um, period of time now. Um, tell us about what led to the move there and, and what sort of impact it had on you. Um, yeah, so it was an interesting one. I saw a, a role f- uh, going for the new Hydra Majestic um, and it didn't have much detail saying apply now. So I just go jump on the website, apply, send my CV and then send it off. And it was done to a couple of days later because his email saying, and it was very straightforward and I didn't look at the, it just says um, a group general manager, escarpment group. It doesn't have a name. And it was just so, and the email reads, so you want to work for me again, question mark. And I'm like, who is this person here? I, I, and then I read the email a bit more down and it was my old GM from when I was 17 years old back in the Mervac property day in Parramatta. And and we've worked with each other back and forth in numerous hotels back in the day, but I didn't know he moved up there. So we did the interview process, which was very quick. Um, and and then I started at Lillianfields. Um, so I was at Lillianfields for about six months um, in, two, in May 2014 it was. And then... And then um, they were having the hydro getting going and they had some personnel issues. So about a month before the grand opening, they asked me to go in to the Hydro Majestic and 
do the opening for them. But this was only four weeks prior to the opening. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is interesting. So I was between <laughs> between Lillian Falls, which is a, a great flagship, you know, hotel in the Blue Mountains, and trying to open up the Hydra Majestic. It hasn't been opened up in 10 years um, since it was last open with a $140 million refurb and trying to open that while running the other hotel, their flagship, but then trying to open the new sister property, you know, eight Ks up the road. So it was, it was quite interesting time, um, you know, working long hours and trying to develop a team there. Um, and, and yeah. And, and then after that, when I, you know, I got the head chef role, they said, this is great. I'll uh, move up the family. I had a young family at the time and just a daughter um, and my wife and we're all living down in Sydney. And then we moved up, up the mountain. So um, have a look back and that was, you know, May of 2014. So it's been a, a great move. Um, my kids go to, go to school here. Both of them now have two daughters. Um, they both go to school. They're both enjoying mountain life. They've got a great backyard, um, you know, because that sort of brings memories back to me. When we were living up, we had a massive yard, play the soccer, have the bikes, you know, street lights would come on. We were still wasn't home. You know, it was, it, was, it was nice. It was like a beautiful childhood. It was, it was great. And um, everyone's enjoying life. So, yeah. The Hydro Majestic is a renowned venue uh, in Australia's history. Um, tell us, do you have any stories from that time and what it was like, um, head chef of such a, an important venue? Uh, yeah, so obviously it was a, it was a big thing to do, uh, the reopening. Uh, we had a couple of um, uh, state leaders coming up to do the reopening and, and, and 24th of October 2014 it was when we opened. Um, we had a high tea there. Um, everything went quite well. Um, and then we're thinking, okay, so what's the next step? We've done the grand opening, we'll open for high tea, and then trying to find our feet of how we're going to position ourselves in the market and how we're going to be different. So obviously high tea is, is very big. We have the beautiful winter garden. It was up there uh, overlooking um, the Megalong, uh, sorry, yeah, the Megalong Valley. And then, and then working through that. So, and then just opening up stages by stages by stages. And then, and then try to figure out how many people we need for the team. And then we had some staffing issues and we had to look elsewhere. And, and it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for about the first six months to a year until we really established ourselves. Um, but no, it's, it's steeped in history. There's, you know, um, Edmund Barton, I think was the first prime minister uh, of Australia was the second, had a heart attack and, and died in the hotel uh, while on holidays. So, and you know, there's ghost stories there and, Everything else, but, but but it just steeped in history. Just steeped in history. It's it's a it was a very large property, uh, and still is to this day. From there, you ended up um, in uh, Western Sydney at uh, Granada's. What tell us about that venue? It says huge numbers. What what did it take to deliver that? Uh, yeah, so we had an opportunity to do something different, um, and I was in hotels for such a long time, and then we had an opportunity to, to buy into a restaurant down there and it, it is, it was Granada's and it was a family friend. Um, and you know, he wanted to partner on board and try to bring up the, the offering and everything else. And we, we went in there and then we upgraded the, the kitchen and the, the meals we did, you know, had pizzas, wood fire pizzas, handmade pasta. Uh, so, so something a bit different to what I was normally used to working in a large brigade and, and having a lot of people around, essentially, and getting back really back into cooking 
um, from my obviously from the previous role, um, and being a, an owner as well in the business um, was was different as well. So um, we always managed, you know, with with the previous um, places I worked, you know, you're very hands on with the financials and everything else. So you know, it's fifty percent is making the food look good and taste good, but the other fifty percent is making sure the figures and and everything else works together because you can do one job really well but if you don't do the other side well then you'll be gone in six months because there's not not enough money coming in or you've overblown your budgets and you spent too much or so it was it was a not an eye-opener we're quite used to it but um different as an owner you know level of care was heightened i guess um but you know working with new owners or working for someone else is of course you care but you'd care more about staff Am I going to? Are we going to make it this week? Are we going to pay them? Are we going to do this? Or someone's called in sick, and how's their daughter? And what's happened here? So it's a different level of care. You still care, but it's different. Um, and we did that for about a year, and it was very successful. Um, and then we sold that business. Um, and then I had about six months off, essentially, because um, uh, I thought I deserved it. My my wife thinks as thought that as well. I hope so. And then. Um, and then um, I got back into um, something different, a different level, a different concept where I was looking at um, into growing mushrooms. So it was quite interesting because um, that, 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 by that point, we were, you know, working, you know, 80 hours a week and six days and didn't see the family too much. And I'm thinking, well, I need a bit of a change and I think I've done enough so far. And then I try to leave not leave the industry, I, I would say, but try to have something a bit different in growing um, organic mushrooms, and then, but but still, see how how I have the love for food. I you know because my father used to grow vegetables in the garden, and my mum's uh, family used to grow a lot of vegetables in the field. So you know during winter they'll grow different crops in summer and and stuff like that. So a bit more on the horticultural side, and, and so is my father as well, both both families, but. I guess that stems from the background that we what we came from, um, but but doing something a bit different, but still interacting with the chefs, still coming to say hello to them, still you know seeing the kitchens. So I never really left the industry, and I was helping out a friend during the time as well, helping her out with her cafe while while doing that. Uh, but it was it was very different. Tell us a little bit about this mushroom business uh, that you that you created. Yeah, so I um, I was working with a company. Um, it's very well known now, but back, uh, back oh, three and a half years ago, nearly four years now, um, it was, it was called life cycle and it's still called life cycle. Um, and they're probably top three companies possibly worldwide, I would say, um, probably the best in Australia and life cycle were two guys that started the business. Um, and they had a love for mushrooms and sort of medicinal or, you know, traditional medicine, essentially. Um, and they looked at how mushrooms benefit people and how they can help people. So they came up with a brand called Life Cycle. They started helping um, young people that have a passion for growing but not too sure how to grow mushrooms. And they sort of took me underneath their, their wing, essentially, as, you know, showing me how the ins and outs of mushroom growing, how to set up a little mushroom farm, how to grow them, what kind of temperatures, what kind of humidity, how much light per day, what kind of grain spawn it starts from, and stuff like that, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and then I have a deeper understanding of how, how things can grow, essentially, because mushrooms are quite fast. Um, as soon as they go into the room, it's about anywhere between 14 to 
28 days they're ready to harvest. So very fast, faster than, I'd say, faster than lettuce, uh, depending on, you know, from seed to start essentially. But, um, but yeah, we're growing um, oyster mushrooms predominantly and then we're dipping into uh, some of the medicinal for health purposes, not, you know, psychedelic, um, but, you know, like lion's mane and reishi and, and um, cordyceps as well. And that helps, you know, stimulate growth patterns and brain recept- receptors and um, grateful back pain, injury and, and circulation. So it was quite quite different. You've been um, cooking in the um, Blue Mountains region now for for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about your your cooking and and has it changed living in that environment? Uh, I would say so. Yes, um, with with my food that we try to p- produce and how I always like to produce food. It's essentially it's about the produce itself. Um, I'm I'm a very, I guess, simplistic. I'd say, um, you know, getting a great piece of protein and then putting it with a piece great great produce itself, essentially. So I always, you know, when we were growing up, with, especially in the house, um, very simple cooking. You know, if my mother would put on a roast chicken, she'll put on a beautiful roast chicken. It would be beautiful. Great potatoes, the best she can get carrots you know turnips and stuff like that and and that sort of stems from me where when we do our cooking here in the hotel or when i was working past as well we try to get the best possible produce we can so and and especially buying in season so you buy that in seasonally like during the winter you won't find tomatoes on the menu here there's there's no way you'll find apples but you won't find tomatoes because they're no good during the winter because, you know, they're glowing in glass houses and, and this. You can buy them all year round. That's definitely – and the price is pretty stable. But we will only have tomatoes in the, in the hot seasons. So, so I'm very selective in how we, how we produce. But over the years, I don't think much has changed on, on the way um, we respect and cook with the food. I think the food that we plate up and how it looks definitely has changed. That's for sure. Um, looking uh, looking past on old, old photos where we're thinking, oh wow, look at that, and you look at it today, I'm like, oh wow, I used to plate up that. So, you know, so if you go to the like, if you go to the website at the Kaya, um, the Kaya website, you'll see a couple of shots of the foods. And if we did something like that 20 years ago, that would be like, um, you know, on the forefront, like cutting edge, you know. So, so I think the food how things are plated up and how people perceive it. I think the end perception of food um, has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. I think that's to do with a lot of cooking shows and stuff like that that has been on TV where everyone is, you know, a home expert, I suppose, and people like what they eat. So, you know, some people like to have simple food, some people like to have all out. So it depends on the person itself as well. But our food that we do and, and what we produced – um, over the years, I always call it, you know, humbling. It's very, um, you know, Moorish. We, we just always want to be a little bit more. And, you know, we don't get it right all the time. You know, people have their own ways and thoughts of how it should be presented or taste and stuff like that, and that's people's own opinion. Well, that's, that's, we're not, it's not wrong. It's just different, I guess, you know what I mean? So, um, but, yeah, I, I think over the years it has changed definitely, but the aspect and the, the fundamentals of how we cook has your uh, role these days is general manager of the the Kaya. Um, what are you enjoying about the role compared to your life as a chef before that? It's not as hot <laughs> in the ki- in in the office that is in the in the kitchen. So that's always a bonus. Um, 
I do I do miss the cold the winter days where the kitchen is really warm and that's awesome. You come into a beautiful warm kitchen and everyone's cold outside. Um, but it's interacting with guests more. I have been interacting with guests for a long time, but it's more personal because you you know you greet them, you see them, you see them in the in the public areas outside, and you have a chat with them and ask them how their day. While you're in the kitchen, you're just more focused about the team members around you. So, in 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 that in that kind of um, way of looking at it, you're still interacting with people, but it's in a different level. So it's it's a bit more personalised. So when the guests have an issue, you go to their room, you ask them um, if if you need to step away from the desk, um, and interacting with all the other people around us as well. So like the gardeners, the maintenance guys, housekeeping, the other staff members, because in the kitchen you can get away with a lot of things, you know, like a little bit more extra banter and stuff like that. And people that, you know, do appreciate that. But when you're outside in the guest eye, you've got to t- tone down a little bit and be a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, thoughtful, I guess. But, um, but the role has been quite interesting. Learning new skills has been amazing. Um, talking to, like, um, you know, the designers, our, our graphic guys, uh, our PR team, um, understanding how what their language is as well and their lingo um, and, and, and working with um, uh, different suppliers more directly as well. So um, it has been a, a great change um, and the opportunity has been amazing um, and just the background of F&B, so if I know what's going in the kitchen and I'm confident in the kitchen, that's 50% of our hotel that I am have confidence in. The other 50% I need to understand a bit more. So then we have people around us like my rooms division manager, our operations manager, that you know we, we liaise, liaise every day um, and they give me confidence to do what I need to do because I have confidence in them. Uh, you become become a real voice of the region on the plate and integral in the connection with lots of local growers. What do you love about what you do? Oh, look, um, go, if I can go down to a farm and it's local and I can see the goats and and she has so much respect, like for just argument's sake for Jeanette, you know, she calls the goats over there like all little children come past to see grandma and just, you know, they all come up to the gate and they just love her. Like that interaction for me is amazing because I can see there's love and care and respect as a farmer or as a producer. You know, a lot of people, you know, have a bit of flack because, you know, are oh, they, you know, this guy raises sheep and then he kills them and all this has chickens and, you know, they only take them because of the eggs. There's more respect for the animal itself than actual people because that's their livelihood that they try to care and nurture for. So going to a farm and, and seeing that firsthand is, is is absolutely amazing and you can see the love that they have for them. Going to the apple farm where they can, you know, the, it's all about the soil. It's not about the tree. The soil produces the tree that produces their crop. So they have more, um, uh, I guess, um, in-depth knowledge about the soil, what they produce, because if the soil is no good, they're not going to get a good crop. So sort of we take that kind of aspect when we look at that with their with the producers that we work and we try to put that into our farm and into our uh, culture that we're trying to build here. So what we try to do is build a great foundation for it, like our garden moving forward. And then if we have the best amazing soil in Australia, we can produce anything that we want. The the, it's like a byproduct of the of the soil, so that's the hero, and whatever comes out of the ground after is is the produce, as, a, as essentially like a byproduct, right? But we're using that, and that produce that we produce is amazing. 
So if I can take that from the producers, what we see and, and, and hear from them and just reciprocate that into our into our areas or into the hotel, um, you know, we're winning. We always we, we won't lose in that kind of respect. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's amazing when you speak to pe- people. Even the like black cockatoo, the guys how they knead the bread and ferment it, and they won't do that certain this way because it cuts an hour off that. It's just they're making bread, you know. It's it, but you can see how they do it. Get their hands in. It's all it's all not commercial. It's all old school, mechanical. Get your hands in there, knead it, dough it, raise it, let it sit for three days. Then you can cook it, not beforehand. It's just amazing, you know, and, and it's great, you know. We, I've really learnt so much in the last couple of years, especially in the last six months being on board here um, and just going out and just meeting them. Well, uh, Marte, it's amazing what you're building there and look forward to seeing it really blossom as the year progresses. Uh, We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.